Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Jim Peterson, who's the CEO of Valor Metals, TSXB listed explorer, chasing PGEs in Brazil. They have, of the success of last year, they've just raised some money, and we talked about what they're going to do with it this year. We also talked about what retail investors seem keen to know: uh, what are they doing with their uranium asset up in Canada? So, if you want our thoughts on that conversation and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com/club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. Uh, We've also got uh, training courses on there, which you might find useful for your own diligence process. We've done a bunch of summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time, because you tell us you're quite busy at the moment. So if you'd like to join the thriving community of investors, sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe, friendly environment, free from trolling and abuse, you should trot along to cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Jim, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Not Great to see you again. I know, long time since the middle of November. So much has happened. So much has happened. How was your Christmas, New Year's, all of that kind of stuff? Long time ago now. It was spectacular. It was Groundhog Day. Many, many things repeated over and over and over in the last year. I know, I know. You didn't go skiing though. I'm looking at that uh, image behind you. I'm slightly jealous. No, actually, that looks like Europe, so I'm not so jealous. I, I think I've been there. That is, uh, that's the old Matterhorn, right? That is Zermatt, and uh, I haven't been in a while, but I want to get back. Good man, good man. Hey, well, look, we thought we'd um, catch up because it's it's been a while. A few things have happened. You've raised a bit of money. You, you're kind of talking to the market about what your plans are. Um, but why don't we kick off, give us that one-minute overview of the total business, and then um, I'll pick up with some of the more recent events. Sure. So... Valor trades on the venture exchange, roughly a $36 million market cap. We just put about 8.3 uh, through a financing. We have over 5 million in, in the treasury for expiration in 2021, should the board approve all of that and subject to good results and all that good stuff. But we're, we're funded and we have a project in Brazil called Pedro Branca. It's a PGE project. So palladium platinum, it's in Sierra State. Uh, a large land block there with a million ounce resource to start. And uh, all of the zones, the five zones that make up that resource, um, two of them are quite open for expansion. And that is, uh, you know, the sort of a large district, about 50 kilometers of strike. So you know, lots of room for discovery, exploration, resource expansion. We did a bunch of that last year, which hopefully we can talk about. And then we're ready to rumble in 2021 with um, a, a sort of a, um, a fully formed exploration team in Brazil, well-funded, and we've got all of our processes nailed down now and our exploration methodology, and we're ready to execute. Brilliant. Okay. Well, the reason we wanted to catch up was because we saw that you went out to raise 3.6, you raised 8.3, clearly a lot of interest, which is good news. And we did catch up at the end of last year in the middle of November. So I guess we heard about most of what happened last year, but perhaps... Why don't you give us a run through what you think the thing, the important things are that happened in 2020 to set you up for 2021? Okay. Well, I'll just go straight to this image then because why, why mess around? So what this is on the left-hand side, this is a little inset. This shows uh, the blue area right here shows the area that was part of the resource or is the trappy one portion of the resource. And then this 
sort of pinkish area is a geophysical anomaly. So we are we are thinking that this is a magnetic structure and one that needs to be drilled. This D to D prime is an area that is shown through as a section right here. And just to give you an idea, that's about 200 meters, this arrow. Uh, the green area is the ultramafic unit represented with this excellent cartoon. And then these are drill holes that you're, you're looking at. So this was a historic drill hole. And what we thought is that um, we could add to the resource by testing this. So we did, we drilled an, uh, a target uh, here at surface, this is drill hole 10. And you can see that we drilled over 50 meters of north of a gram from surface or you know, like under half a meter from surface. And then not only did we do that, we stepped along to the east and drilled a long section and we nailed a, a big interval over 100 meters of 0.76. So this is, um, it's sort of thickening at depth. But what this did was obviously when you're looking at a project, you want you want near surface mineralization. So this particular hole, I think was a real success. And this is very encouraging because it's thickening at depth. And then if we just step down one to the south, so looking at this inset, you see this section, we'll just, oh, we'll step down a little bit. This A to A prime shows a section. So just to the south, we drilled. And similar type of thing where we were getting um, a thickening from, from left to right or from west to east. But this is, this is kind of a whopper we got. And um, I just wanna show this core to people. So what these red arrows represent is a meter interval throughout these core boxes that are laid out and we've assayed these. And these numbers represent grams per ton, palladium, platinum, gold. And so we don't have like 35 grams per ton over 22 centimeters and then nothing for 100. This is a big, thick, juicy interval. And look at some of these numbers, four, five, three, up to seven grams per ton, 7.6. So these are, you know, these are juicy, higher grade. And this is, if you look at this section, it's from this area right here. So again, there's this um, near surface mineralization that seems to extend to depth and it's thickening at depth. So as far as success last year, I think that type of result was very successful for us. It was our first time drilling. And, and, um, and so we, you know, we're kind of going in with some expectations, but also trepidations, not having drilled the property before and it worked out pretty well. So tell us some of this, how much money did you spend last year on the, on the drilling? A little under 1.5. Right. Okay. So it's, it was, it's kind of, it's kind of early, early days, but the indications are strong. The grades look encouraging to you. Um, so what do you do this year? What are you going to do about it? That's a good question. That's a great question. I wonder if we if we had a slide that would talk all about that. It would I don't know. Just be so that amazing. would just be so amazing. Be good. I can call you Wouldn't tomorrow. That... Maybe we can oh, discuss we it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I saw this in the yeah. in the deck. Right. So talk me through. Yes, this. it's good. So this last year we kind of had a strategy where we would drill these targets and and our goal was expanding the resource in known areas. And then we would test targets that had been drilled and didn't have the density of drilling. And we would, we would call those sort of target advancement and then the new discovery, like for example, C4. So this year we'll be focusing on Trapia and Santo Amaro. That's, they're almost 45 kilometers apart, those targets. And Santo Amaro is an area that hadn't seen a lot of work in the past. 
Uh, our team has gotten a really good geological handle on that now, and we had success drilling in 2020. We'll be looking to amp that up. And then Trappy, I just showed you that image, Trappia 1, and there are actually two other targets that form the Trappia resource. So we'll be doing resource expansion and then discovery drilling around those two target areas, which are quite distinct and separate. And then there's a few target areas where we just don't have um, any confidence that we can grow them because they were really drilled off by previous operators, but they're still in the inferred resource category. So we may be doing some resource delineation there, and that will help us with our, our planning and, and when we're looking at putting the project, advancing it, drilling those off. And then we had a discovery at C4, and we uh, had some success at a, at a target that did not have a resource called Canabrava. So we'll be pounding holes in those things to try to pull them into an inferred resource category if we have success. Uh, we have a team of six down there, Brazilian geologists that are doing an amazing job. And particularly last year when people from Canada and UK weren't flying in and out of Brazil with ease, it was awesome to have a team of very competent professionals that are super passionate about geology running the program down there. So they, you know, they've identified a lot of new targets for us this last year because we had the budget and, you know, we're really focusing on exploration and, and they were starting to discover some pretty exciting stuff. So we'll be um, advancing those and drilling certain targets. <clears throat> and then the last point is super important, I believe, because um, as we are sort of still in the exploration stage, we did that. So we have that same kind of mentality with the processing. So in terms of metallurgy, we're looking at different uh, innovative techniques to try to see what's the best way, the safest way, the highest margin way, the most productive way, the least costly developed from a development perspective to advance the project. So we had some green lights last year uh, with a lot of different things we were doing. And so we're following up on a lot of those things this year, um, the first couple of months. And I would hope by kind of mid-year, we'd be able to come back to the market and say, you know, it's not all nailed down yet, but this is the path we're going to take. And, and these are some of the results we have. And so people then will be able to kind of get an idea. We'll be able to help people understand the uh, potential economics of the development path. So like Jankada spent about 35 million bucks on this thing before you got your hands on it, right? So how much of that data was sort of intelligently spent? I, stuff that you can use to inform what you're telling me is the way that you're going to, you're going to approach it. Because you know, a lot of companies would go, oh, determine the safest, highest margin, most productive project. I mean, but what does that mean for you based on the data which you've either bought or inherited? In aggregate, 35, we got a slide on that. In aggregate, 35 million was spent, but that was spent by numerous operators over the year, including Anglo. Got it. Back okay. In the day. So this is probably a better one right here. But um, how much is relevant? I think I think all of it's relevant. I think though that the last few years there hasn't been a real, there wasn't a super huge drive to look at new processes and techniques that will unlock value. So we we were doing that, and um, you know there have been advances in geochemistry and rock, you know, ore liberation and crushing, and 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 they make a big difference. So we're, you know we're kind of going through all of those steps as we're drilling holes. We're we're trying to learn the same type of thing about advancing a project from a processing perspective. But I think to answer your question, it's all helpful. Um, certainly, uh, if, if, if the data is high quality, it helps. And I think what we did is, you know, took some of that really high quality data, and just organized it differently. And, um, and then we used it to go out and, and test in the field. So not only are we using new techniques, but we're kind of going old school too, which is spend a lot of, you know, lots of boots on the ground and, 
and taking a lot of samples. It, it is a very highly mineralized area. Um, it is, it's got scale over, you know, 50K strike. And there's been a lot of really good work in the past. I don't think for the last few years, anyone really focused on the kind of exploration that Discover Group is famous for. And so we're kind of bringing a lot of that mentality to the project and we're finding upside. But, so, but talk to me about it, because you use that phrase a lot in the, in the PowerPoint and your communication, which is a high value, large scale. And it's like, it, it, how do you get to the point where you can quickly, with, on a tight budget, um, identify the scale, whether or not it is going to be um, high value, economic? You know, what, what's, that, what's that path look like? I mean, like you say, you're part of Discovery Group. You've had numerous successes before. You've got nine uh, companies in the stable, some of them doing exceptionally well. But is there a kind of cookie cutter approach to how you go about creating the, the cliche, you know, shareholder value? Um, I think that the, the, the common element it isn't cookie cutter, but I think the common element is just like maniacal focus on ringing value out of every piece of data you get. And so when I, when I look at the guys that are working for our team, you know, they're, they can't sleep because they're thinking about how they can improve things or are they missing something and how they can add value. And that's happened, you know, that's happened many times in the history of the group for sure. And it's definitely happening with the team at Valor. We're all in that same boat. I think though, like it's, you got to have a full process lined up. So, you know, there's a, a typical kind of life cycle and expiration where you have, you have uh, soil sampling, geophysics, rock sampling, drilling. And, you know, we're adding a different, an additional step in here. We're using this old school thing called Trado, which is basically a mobile rig, which can get down about 10 meters. So, you know, we're seeing soil anomalies on some pretty large scale. And then there's a step in between <coughs> the soil geochem and drilling. And it really improves our productivity tremendously to be able to go in there, soil sampling. If the thing runs, if it's hot, we can get this Trado in and bang some little holes in there and see if this actually has some scale to it or, or depth to it. And if it does, then we'll be able to go in and drill. So this is the first year where we've had kind of all cylinders rocking and firing, and we'll have the capital to have not only a phase one, but subject to success, almost double the size of the drill program last year. So I think we're going to add a ton of value this year. And then in tandem, all the stuff I'm talking about, the state, you know, I'm not, it's, I guess we use these cliche terms in our decks just because, you know, they're common words that we're tr trying to communicate to the public with. But the, the reality is that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, what's the, the way where we can have this thing where nobody's worried about the efficacy of the, the project or the safety of the project. And it's the lowest capital cost possible. And it'll have the lowest operating costs and consume the least amount of water and power and kick out as much margin as possible. So that's what our team is working on. And, you know, I think we're making huge headway. So it's exciting for me to work on that type of stuff because obviously we, we, we think this thing has huge exploration potential, but we, it's got to be commercial. Yeah, and I, look, and I guess the, the, the PG market at the moment is helping with prices and so forth. But I, I, what fascinates me there about what you said was you know, getting that mixture of old school, Trado, and you've yeah. got the new stuff coming through, new ways of interpreting data and, and new ways of, of de dealing with the ore. I think you've got pictures of the liberator in there. <laughs> you, 
you know, in terms of the way this, that you access the the the, uh, the the minerals. So this is so funny. This thing, this so we sent six samples over to Hamburg, and these guys are amazing. Um, just like an amazing group of innovators. The so that see they drop the the rocks in the top there. That's that's where the guy is up top. Drops it in, and it, and it came out the bottom. See this little stock down here, but. You dropped the, like, so we had six different samples and dropped one in and it was like, <clears throat> and then there was gray icing sugar down here and it was that fast. And so the, the difference, if you look at kind of the, they have these uh, video images comparing your typical crushing to this is the, cr imagine a piece of rock being banged around in a crusher, one side's crushed, and then the other side gets crushed. And then a little bit on this side, a little bit on this side, and all this energy to move these rocks like around and around and around and around. And this thing, the rock goes boom. And it's like dust immediately. And so it's, you know, that's the goal. You're not looking at mushing it up. You're looking at cracking these things and separating them and liberating the ore. That's what you're trying to do. You're not just trying to bang them around and bang them around safe. So, um, you know, this is very, uh, in terms of water consumption, energy consumption is the superior option. And if it can liberate the stuff, that's what we're hoping to. So we've sent it off and now we've sent all those samples back to SGS. So now if those recovery rates are good, you know, we've got a, a very viable um, um, development path here, we can say, we can throw in cap costs for the Bureau Liberator and how that might affect things. So the, these are the types of things that we're working on and, and it is, um, and it works and it's actually working in the PGM um, business. It's this, there's two, um, two of these units have been sold to Anglo in South Africa. So we know it works in our business. This is not a science experiment. So what scale do those get to? What, what are we talking about? A couple hundred tons an hour. Right, so it's not some guy throwing a rock in every uh, 15 minutes. Good, <laughs> that's good news. Um, so again, talk, talk to me about the um, decisions that you can make off the back of this. So SGS, they, they, they try and work out what you can extract out, but then, then what? Because you're, you're so early stage, you, you know, you, you've got a lot of things to do. So why, why are you looking at that now? I think, I think you need, if you're, if you're, a commercial enterprise, I mean, I think you need to start answering these questions now because whether we're going to advance and develop it or somebody else's, you have to tick these boxes off. You have to say to them, okay, if we can get to a certain size in terms of and a scale, is there an interest level to either be a strategic partner or an acquirer of the project? And if there's just a whole bunch of questions hanging out there. They're going to say, you know, we're, you're not ready yet. We can't make a decision yet. So these are very cost-effective ways to de-risk the project. And it helps us rack, wrap up economics around it, which, you know, you really are unable to do until you do this work. Right. Okay. But given, given the scale and the nature of what you, you've got ahead of you, this, this district of yours, there's going to be lots of different types of or bodies and um, this testing process will go on for some time because you have different types of rocks um, that you're going to need to test in this way, are you? Um, well, I, I think, yeah, certain deposits have differences, but a lot of them have similarities as well. So there will be a common theme in, in many of them. And some of the mineralization in the north looks different than the south, but not too distinct. Um, we're, we're doing tests, like, for example, right now, we're doing a lot of tests for rhodium 
And the jury's still out whether Sento Morrow in the north will actually have any prospectivity for rhodium. But some of the deposits in the south, like specifically Asparo, does. And so we're doing that work. But what that does tell us is that there were different, you know, mineralization events or, there, you know, there's some differences between these deposits and that will affect metallurgy undoubtedly. So, so how does that affect your decision making? So if you look at the price of uh, rhodium, it's gone nuts. It's just, it's way out on its own compared to the kind of growth we've seen elsewhere. Um, does that affect or change the order of play for you? Or do you understand the kind of erratic nature of it and say, like, well, just steady as she goes because the upside is, is huge with rhodium if you can if you can get that right yeah I, I think prior to this one of the reasons why it wasn't really un, unknown uh, sort of unknown or really well understood at Peter Branca specifically is because unbeknownst to me I did not know this until a couple of years ago if you want to assay for a suite of minerals if you want to include rhodium the price almost doubles so that might have held back others saying you know why you know, at the time, rhodium wasn't trading at over $20,000 an ounce. So they probably said, let's not bother. Um, you know, we have the luxury that we have all the like really well-maintained core shacks with a whole bunch of samples and pulps. So now with the rhodium price as it is, we can go back and rerun a lot of those. We can kind of incorporate rhodium assays into select. You know, for the most part, we want to kind of focus on uh, higher grade samples, higher grade PG samples lead us to, to do the additional cost on the rhodium. So um, it, it does affect what we're doing, but I, th I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it wasn't our, it's not our primary focus, but it can add a ton of value if you could tie up some sort of deal where, you know, you were getting, you were getting the value of rhodium today, which is, you know, spectacular, 10 times the value of gold. Yeah, I mean- it's So like that, that's, worth, that's worth something. It is, it's definitely worth something, but it's worth something to someone at some point who knows how to monetize that. For you, it's just part of the allure of getting, allowing you to do what you need to do. One, either to be able to go and raise capital or two, attract a partner to come in um, who may be interested in a, a, dist a PGE district, right? Is that the game plan? Yeah, I think... Uh you know, the, those that are out there mining palladium and platinum would probably understand rhodium as well. You know, those that are out there that are just mining gold and silver may or may not, but there are lots of similarities in terms of the end market for rhodium as there would be for palladium or platinum, the auto industry. So, you know, if you, if what, one of the things I like about the difference between this project, for example, and we may talk about it, a uranium project is that, you know, you could have a mid-tier producer that, that produces gold and silver that could convince their shareholder base that a palladium project is something, it's not too far out of the realm of their um, wheelhouse, so to speak, their expertise. It really comes down to mining and metallurgy. So one of the, that's what we're working. We don't really have to prove to people that near surface high grade mineralization off a road would be a difficulty in terms of mining. It's more, what are the next questions? It's it's the processing. So that's why we're working on all this stuff. So we can actually put together a legitimate plan to develop it ourselves or show others how they might participate in the journey. So you're obviously uh, the number of participants, a uh, number of people that you could be uh, trying to attract um, has gone up because we talked recently through the, um, to a company that's talking about the interchangeability between platinum and palladium uh, as far as mm -hmm. the automotive industry is concerned. Um, so for you, in a very meaningful way, you don't care which, wh where the focus is um, or what you're seeing more of, do you? 
Uh, well, I mean, slightly weighted towards palladium in terms of the mineralization, but not enough that, you know, if, pl if platinum continues with its run, we're not upset by that. We're happy with that. You know, the substitutability of these things certainly isn't, doesn't happen overnight. Um, but, you know, as we go forward, I think there'll be more use or new uses for both of them. And uh, so they're both valuable. And um, they do, they, they did previously kind of run counter to each other in terms of pricing. But it lasts a little bit. Palladium's been on a nice run, and plat and platinum has caught up, or is catching up. Yeah. I mean, okay. So let's just quickly talk about finance because I did want to talk about An Angelac because um, people are excited about uranium and potential there. Um, you loaned the company some money last year. You paid yourself back, I, I guess, through this financing, but you plowed it straight back in. A big chunk of it, yeah. So I, I had lent the company almost a little over two million dollars. And so in this financing, my total investment equated to roughly 1.7. So I got some beer money back for the weekend, but you know, for the most part, I invested it in. And that was really um, dictated by, I just don't want to go over 20% of the company. So I, I you know, held the line at 19.9%. You, got a, you, got, a, you got a bunch of money left. You got about just over 5 million bucks, which you're going to spend. Um, can you just kind of break that down? Where is, where is it going to go? Well, last year for about 6,300, let's say 6,000 meters, we were able, it was about $1.5 million for that. So I would think that the focus would be another subject to board approval. And we're just waiting for a couple of different things to come through before we make an announcement of the actual meters. But the goal would be to drill at least the same amount as we did last year, which is over 6,000 meters. But that would kind of be a phase one. And then we'd have the capital subject to success and understanding where we were getting the most bang for our buck in the drilling. We could, you know, double that again and have the similar program. And this, that's to finish out this year. So, you know, we'd have enough capital to do that. Right. Okay. Um, and we're going to start seeing those that happening when, what's, what's your timing and all this? Once we get it nailed down with the drilling contractor and which will more than likely be prior to the end of March. Okay, so, pretty, so pretty you know, within the next couple of weeks, we'll be rocking now. And in, in addition to that, there's always the specter of COVID. And I just want to be clear, like last year, we had the same specter. And that was the big reason why I lent the company money, because I was so worried about it. But in mining is an essential service in Brazil. They're ramping up some of the uh, panic. And, and so that will affect um, logistics and planning and travel and so forth. But from the mining industry from last year, anyways, that uh, was classed as an essential service. So we were able to go in and out of a Capital more um, and operate totally safely. And, and so we built trust in the community there. And, uh, and you know, we have a great relationship with the drilling contractor and, our, and all of our employees were safe. So, you know, I think we feel comfortable going after it again this year, subject to, you know, no big changes from a regulatory perspective in Brazil. Jim, I mean, talk to me. Talk to me about you know when you kind of start getting into the sort of study phase. Because again, yeah, we appreciate the model that you're employing here, but what's the sort of timing for all the people who can start understanding when you start spending money on the scoping studies, start understanding the economics, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what we're attempting to do with all this sort of follow-on studying. You know, the Vero Liberator, the Platsol, the Cyanide Leach, all these different things. That's sort of based upon. Uh, the samples we have currently in the lab at SGS, the next couple of months, we'll be running them through a battery of tests. And I think when we come out of that, we'll be able to say, okay, the, these are the um, superior options. And then we'll be able to lay out a path there. And that will help us understand economics, development timeline, 
difficulty in permitting, you know, power consumption, all these different things that play into that, whatever choice you make. But I would think by the first half of the year, we'll be able to lay that out for people. Of course, you know, I think at this stage, the reason why we're focused on areas like Asparo or others is because they're near surface, almost 400,000 ounce deposits that are significantly high in upgrade. And in terms of a potential mining, they, they don't seem like they'd be a big challenge. So if we could wrap a development strategy around something like Asparo, it would be my hope that would actually show that that would be the great starting point to a high margin producer that could then take advantage of all the other mineralization property wide to kind of have this much longer term district mining opportunity. But there are certain there are certain deposits that we have that you know have been really well drilled off by previous operators. There, you know, we're not guessing. It's not like uh, 100 and 200 meters in between drill holes where you, if you drill in between, you're going to Swiss cheese it and reduce the size. These have been well drilled off and they're right at surface, so we can put a plan around them. To answer your question, probably by mid year we'll have much more clarity on scoping, PEA, pre-fees, fees, timelines. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Giancarlo, looks like they're selling off. Is that going to be a problem? It hasn't been a problem. I mean, we didn't have to pay them cash. We gave them some stock, uh, a big chunk of stock, and they've been super patient, and they have two directors on our board. Um, Luis Azevedo has been a huge help to us, but right now they're trying to advance their their project, which is in the south the, the prop of our project in Brazil, and uh, they want a little bit of cash for expiration. So we've we've been able to find a home for their shares with big supporters from our group. So, you know, if they wanted to sell it all at once, I'd probably have some heartburn, but they've been super patient and and we've got guys that like it. So they've been sucking it up. Right. Okay. So that works for both sides. Fine. Um, yeah. let, let's talk about Angelac uh, because people are getting excited in the market, getting excited about uranium, like sort of, as they have done for the, every year for the last four years. But I think now the momentum starting mm-hmm. to pick up in terms of supply demand uh, components. We we've seen we've seen a lot of supply drop out of the marketplace. So people, uh, not only investors but companies, looking for uranium projects. You've got one. Have you been approached? Yeah, let me just. I, I, I see. I, I just want to show people that because the answer is yes. Uh, we've get, we're getting quite a bit of interest. And just out of curiosity, just so you know this, like when we do a, a video. And we, we talk about our uranium project. We have a bunch on our website of all the different project areas. And we just did an update recently. You know, thousands of people are, are watching this video. And then we'll have other videos where like 10 people watch it. So they don't even care even a little bit about some of the other stuff. But uranium is, is obviously really of interest. So a lot of people don't know about us because we really stopped working to a, a great extent on this project almost seven years ago. The, the price of uranium was not helping us. Uh, but, you know, we've got close to 50,000 hectares in northern Canada. The, this represents a basin, a sub-basin. And these are these are basins just like the Athabasca Basin is, but they're just a bit smaller. They're sub-basins to the Athabasca. We've we've spent over $55 million on this project. And we've drilled, we've had three resource estimates. So when we drill it, we go in the next year, we find a new zone, add that. We've done that three times now. We've done metallurgy. We get nice recovery rates and, and a, a, what they call a low impurity yellow cake product. So a very attractive yellow cake product for potential buyers down the road. And then, and then this is just what I like. I mean, so the 43 million pounds lives in the two big stars and all the little red stars here. These aren't just like dudes walking around picking up rocks. 
These are drilled. We've drilled them and we've hit uranium mineralization in structures that look like the structures that host the 43 million pound resource. So all of these little things you see, these have all been drilled by us, not someone else. And we've hit uranium mineralization in all these. So what we think that the upside is on this side of the property, on the west side, we've got literally a mirror image of what is over here on this um, eastern side. So we're excited. Um, but the fact is, spot price is still, for everyone's benefit, $27 a pound. And uh, its low was 20. Its high was over $100 and it was 70 a few years ago. So, you know, we're, we're ready there. We have the asset we've spent, we've invested heavily. We'll be doing some work this year on the desktop front because we, we really think, you know, compared to all our peers, we, you know, we've done a lot of work. We have a lot of value. We're significantly undervalued. If they're getting value, we can probably show some, put some effort into it and showing our value as well. And uh, we are getting approached by different groups, but really I'm not going to put it on, I'm not going to sell it to some dudes who are going to put it on ice. I can put it on ice just fine myself. So if they're, if they've got a really good team and a great reputation and an ability to raise big money, and they want to take this thing and really rock with it, uh, you know, I'll talk to them because that is something that we're not going to do this summer. Uh, but we have the ability to do it in the future if the price moves back. You spent 55 million bucks on it. Canadian dollars on that. So it's not okay. Not, not real money. Sure. But what, what <laughs> that's still, that's still a lot of money, right? So where, where'd that go? I, you're drilling, I'm guessing, but where the, where'd the value go? Just crushed by the, the uranium market. Yeah. 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 It was uh, crazy. And then, so then in 2018, you know, we were doing as a group, we we're doing all these other deals. And I was just like, why am I waiting for the spot price to come around when our group has the potential to go out and make acquisitions of projects that are, you know, haven't had the TLC from the expiration front. They've had a lot of um, money invested in them for access infrastructure data. And that's why we came up with this Petter Brank acquisition. We renamed the company and rolled it back, but we retained these claims. Um, because we spend so much money and we have great relationships in the North, a lot of experience in the North. That's really where our group initially started out working was Nunavut territory and Northwest territories, Yukon. So, so Nunavut, do you think um, you're going to get the kind of reception that you're going to want from, you know, First Nations up there? Yeah, we have a partnership with NTI, Nunavut Tungavik Inc., which is the Inuit owned, effectively, there are roughly 35,000 people that live in that territory. And um, they have a company, a corporation that is uh, tasked with stewarding their the, the value of their resources. So they're actually, this company is one of the largest landholders in all of North America. And their land holdings were chosen specifically based on resource extraction potential from oil and gas to diamonds and uranium and uh our of a former chairman of the company what the one of the founders of Kamenak, rob carpenter actually did a deal with um nti and it was the first deal of its kind um and and, and one of the reasons we were able to do it is because none of it actually had a uranium policy which is very uncommon in jurisdictions around the world but they had one and it was supportive of uranium exploration and development so it's going to be a while before you do anything with that because you've got to recoup a, a ton of money out of the gate. Do I? Yeah, you do. Well, I mean, like, I think, you know, what we need to do is look at um, the best path that we have in front of us. So is waiting forever the best path just because we don't get a bid that is the same as we've spent? I mean, we have to kind of look back and say there are certain opportunities 
if partnered with the right people, maybe they can add a lot more value um, if they're if they're focused on it. You know, and I think right now our team is not focused on the uranium project. You have to, I think in my mind, if you want value, your team has to be completely focused on something and advancing it, racing forward. You can't do it half-assed. So if there's a group that is interested in talking and I look at, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm experienced enough to discern whether they're a group that would do a better job there. There's a lot of things that, you know, would be important to recognize. But given the grades you're seeing in you, in this, the Angolac Basin compared to say, like, you know, over Athabasca Basin proper, it's, it's a much more modest grade. So does that put you at the back of the queue? No, because um, the pitch blend or the, you know, the form of mineralization that we see is up to 30% in some areas, but they're like these little micro fractures, these, these little veins, veinlets that are running. So you, there is the opportunity for much higher grade, like within those intervals that we've had, that was the average grade after, you know, drilling almost 80,000 meters and all these different holes. So, you know, it's not, you know, the more you drill typically, the more realistic your numbers become. You drill one hole into a zone, you might get some pretty high grade numbers, but try drilling 200 or 300, you know, over time that average comes down. So, but one of the things that's really um, important about that project is the mineralization is at or near surface. So, you know, you're looking at Cigar Lake or, or MacArthur River. These are engineering marvels. And really, a company like ours doesn't want an engineering marvel. We want, we want simplicity near surface. And um, what we didn't find in all of our years there, but I think we could find it now with some new innovations is, you know, you've got these structures and we can see these structures quite easily with geophysics. Most of them, most of them tend to run, they're mineralized, but what we need is a blowout or a cross-cutting structure where you've got high-grade mineralization of a scale enough that it would be open pit to start because you want you need to be able to pay back your mill and your roads and all of your nut before you start a project. So then if that was the case, then we literally would have multi-generational mining. You kind of you could be underground mining where you where you already get all of your infrastructure built. Right. So we're not there yet. You're not there yet. You're no rush. No. You got to find the right team partner with access to capital and the track record, get it, or you could bring your own team in and spin it out and put it in the discovery yeah. group. Lots of options on the table, yeah. right? World full of options. World full of options. Okay, well, cool, Jim. Awesome to catch up with you. Uh, busy, busy as as ever. Uh, well done last year. Keep it going. Uh, stay in Thank touch. You. Thanks, Matt, so much. Great to see you again. It's been too long. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.